Have you ever felt that God is far, far away? Sometimes God seems like he's far away. And uh, maybe it's uh, he's become a... Uh, you, you remember how he, he acted in the past, um, but now it's just that you're here on earth and he is in heaven and you're thinking, where are you, God? Um, where are you? Because uh, that's really the experience that Isaiah is finding uh, himself in in this particular situation. Um, it's He's describing in this passage that we're going to look at uh, this morning, and we're going to look a little bit in Isaiah 63 as well as in Isaiah uh, 64. Um, Isaiah is longing that the God that he once knew and that had acted in the past on, on his behalf, uh, someone that he's known his greatness in, in the past and he's heard about him, he, he's crying out in a prayer, saying, God, God. And in lots of ways, um, it is a prayer from from the heart, a longing for God to work in the midst of um, the people. But we can also take it as uh, a prayer for us as a church saying, Lord, Lord, we, we need you. And also as individuals, Lord, Lord, where are you? The people of Israel knew that uh, God had had really been close to them in, in times past. And in the earlier parts of Isaiah 63, um, there is kind of a, a, a remembering of all that God had done in the past. And maybe you here this morning, you're thinking back at things that God did in your past Isaiah remembers the kindness of God. He remembers how God took a, a people as his own and carried them out of slavery. And, and it actually says that, that he, he, he carried them according to his love and compassion. They were distressed, but he had loved them. He loved his people. He lifted them up and carried them in the days of old. And so he remembers the past. He remembers God's love. He remembers God's strength from, from ancient times. But now God feels far away. Yes, can remember how he worked, but now he feels far away. And so... In um, verse uh, 11, here, uh, uh, just going to see if my clicker works. I just have to advance that first slide, Janelle. There we go. Um, 
in that in that verse 11 um, it says where is he where is he <laughs> where is he who set his holy spirit among them talking about the people of israel who sent his glorious arm of power to be at moses right hand where is he <laughs> I mean, where are now, I mean, in Israel's mind, um, they are now a captive people to another nation. They're enslaved and, and everything that they knew was glorious about their, their past, their salvation, the, the temple, the armies, the spreading, the glory of the past is all gone. And now Isaiah is praying on behalf of the people, where is he? The one who set his Holy Spirit among them and he set his glorious arm of power to be at Moses' right hand. Where? Where? We're in this place of of lostness and, and difficulty and hardship. Where is he who divided the waters before them to gain for himself an everlasting renown who led them through the depths? Where is he? Where is he gone? That The one that seems so strong and mighty... We just feel so lost now and so broken. They were given rest by the Spirit of the Lord. Spirit of the Lord just came to them and they just knew his rest. But now we know no rest and we're feeling the anguish of our particular situation. And where is he? And so now in the midst of this longing for, for the God of the past, the feeling of helplessness because they know that part of their bondage and their, their, their defeatedness is because of their own rebellion against God and all this has happened because of their own brokenness and, and rebellion. And in the midst of this, they feel so far from God and, and Isaiah prays. So this, what we're looking at this morning is actually prayer. And so I want us to learn. I'll tell you what I'd like us to learn. I'd like us to learn from Isaiah a rich, rich lesson in prayer. You say, well, that sounds pretty boring. I'll tell you, it is not boring. To know how to so lay hold on God, to so cry out to him in your brokenness and need, to know him, in the midst of that, and to pray to the God of heaven is a rich, rich lesson. And there's four things here. One is Isaiah calls to God and says, God, look down. The second thing Isaiah says, Lord, I'm asking that you would split the heavens and that you would come down. The third thing is Isaiah does is uncover the root of the problem in our hearts. And the fourth thing is an expectation of God's mercy. So I want to look at each one of of them with you. Listen to the first one. This prayer of Isaiah to God where he's asking God to look down. Look down from heaven and see from your lofty throne, holy and glorious. Where are your zeal and your might? Your tenderness and compassion are withheld from us. So just imagine the situation. 
a people totally devastated, totally enslaved, every kind of difficulty and hardship, very discouraged. But here is one, Isaiah, who is crying out to God and saying, God, you're in your glorious temple. You're you're in your holy and glorious and lofty throne above. And we're here in brokenness and defeat and just discouragement. We're asking you, Lord, please, will you look on us? Give us your full attention. Look down, Lord. Will you look down? When you're in pain and struggle and hardship, do you ever pray like that? Because that's the way that Isaiah prays. Many people say, oh, no, I would never bother God. I've got my troubles and he, he wouldn't take any notice of me. And, and that is just no, totally not what Isaiah does. He says, you might say, well, God knows. He doesn't, he doesn't need to be invited to look down. He sees my whole situation. That's not Isaiah's attitude at all. When you're in trouble and when you're in hardship, this is the prayer to God. God, look down, <laughs> please. You're in your lofty throne in power and majesty. Would you please look down in my situation? And God, where is your zeal? that we knew in the past. You had passion for your people in the past. Where is your power, your might? Where is it? God. Do you ever pray to God like that? And Lord, where is your tenderness and your compassion? They were withheld from us. We're in this broken place. Do you see how real Isaiah gets with God? How bold he is with God. And he says, God, will you please... Look down. He says, why, Lord, do you make us wander from your ways and harden our hearts so we do not revere you? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes that are inheritance. He says, God, why do you make us wander from your ways? You've hardened our hearts. It almost sounds like Isaiah is, is blaming God for their rebellion and for their wandering. But that's not what's happening at all. Isaiah knows full well that the sin is totally theirs. But do you know how God works sometimes? In fact, it's a biblical principle. That when we wander and wander and wander away from God and we harden our hearts from God, there comes a point where God says, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. You you want all that stuff? You want to wander away from me? Okay, it's yours. I'm going to to make you wander. I'm going to harden your heart against me. You'll have a hard heart if you want a hard heart. But now Isaiah is saying, oh, we're so broken in our brokenness. Lord, why are you hardening our hearts? Please return for the sake of your servants the tribes that are your inheritance. Now, I want you to know that Isaiah is storming the gates of heaven in prayer. He sees the brokenness of his people and he just does not sort of take it lightly. He does not say, oh, I'll just send up a quick prayer. He doesn't do that. He is he's totally storming the gates of heaven. He's saying, Lord, where is your might? Where is your zeal? Where is your compassion? Where is your tender love? Where is it, God? And then he says, would you return for the sake of your servants, the tribes that are your inheritance? Isaiah is saying, look, we, your people, are your inheritance. 
You've set your love on us. You said that we would, get, you, we would be your most precious thing. The most, you, we would, you would be owned. You would own us. And that we would be treasured. And look at us. We're just a blithering mess. But we're your inheritance. Will you not return because we're your inheritance? Do you see that Isaiah is using every tool at his disposal to cry out to God, to say, God, look, look. You can't just leave us like this. I do think that this is a, a right way to even pray for the church of God across Australia. I mean, when you look at the church across Australia, it's just in many ways just weak and, and, and little and, and, and broken in, in various parts. And it's not right for us to say, oh, yeah, that's the way it's always going to be and that's the way it should be and that's the way it's always going to be. It's just totally not right. And Isaiah, from his heart, and some of you could, some of you will, maybe this is a word for you, when... For some of you, you've just got it in your heart that you want to pray that God would do something. Now, I would encourage those of you um, that God lays it on your heart to pray that the church would not be as she is, that she would be glorious, that maybe you would pray, Lord, Lord, you cannot leave us as we are. That's the first thing that God prays, that the Isaiah prays. He says, Lord, would you please look down? But there's more. Because he says, Lord, please, would you come down? In, in chapter 64, verse 1, it says, Oh, and that word, oh, is filled with passion and meaning. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. The word rend means to split open, to tear open. Lord, would you please just tear open the heavens and come down? that the mountains would tremble before you as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Not only look down, Lord, but we want you to come down. Do you remember, God, when the, the mountains trembled before you? And it's looking back to the time of, Isaiah, of, of Mount Sinai where God comes down and brings the Ten Commandments to Moses and the mountains just trembled and the people of Israel said to Moses, don't even let God speak to us. We'll die if he speaks to us. And now Isaiah is saying, oh Lord, that you would do that again. That you would tear open the heavens and come down. I'll tell you what's in my mind when I think of this. I don't know whether many of you have read of the history of, of revival, but there's times in history, you look back two, three hundred years longer, there's times where it seems that God actually tears open the heavens and the gospel comes with extraordinary power. Many people, we don't see it today, I know we don't see it today, but that's the point of this prayer. We don't see many people flocking and coming and knowing and seeing the greatness of God. I know that. But that's the point of the prayer. If you look back, there's times where it seems like God has just split open the heavens and he comes down with tremendous power. I remember reading about George Whitfield. He preached in the 1730s, 40s, 50s. 
No PA stands on the side of a hill in England. 10,000 people, I don't know how his voice did it, People, the coal miners would crawl out of, the, of their coal mines because they heard that Whitfield was going to preach. And he knew that the Holy Spirit was having an effect on them because all their faces were totally black with the soot of the coal. But he would see white gutters forming on their faces as their tears began to roll, as the God, the gospel started to touch their lives. And it transformed England and America as God tore open the heavens and came down with tremendous power. It's a historic, you read the history. And, and Isaiah is praying, God, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would quake before you. When it says when fire sets twigs ablaze, that idea of fire, it's always the presence of God. Instead of God being far away and it just seems like he's so distant and I'm just living my own little world down here, it's now God's present. Do you remember the, 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 the burning bush? And that was the very presence of God. Do you remember on the day of Pentecost and tongues of fire came and descended on the believers? The very presence of God. And now Isaiah is saying, and when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil, instead of us having lukewarm hearts and yeah, God's okay and we sort of tip our hat to him every now and again, but now it's not lukewarm. It's now boiling hot. Oh, Lord, that you would make our passion and our love for you hot. That's Isaiah's prayer. He says in verse 4, Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. There's no God like this one. You can look at all the other gods, but there's none like this one. What sets him apart? I'll tell you what. Not actually that the mountains tremble. Not even that there's fire. This is what sets the God of heaven apart. He acts on behalf of those who wait for him. He acts. He's not a God who is distant. He acts. What does it mean to wait for God? To wait for God means to look expectantly to him even when things look bleak, even when everyone else has given up, even when everyone else has said, oh, it's just not working. But the believer waits expectantly, looking to him. And God says, and Isaiah says, God acts. Do you see how experiential this is? is this, does the, it's, it, there's an emphasis here on experience. It's no longer just a concept in my mind. But since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen, it's, it's an experience of God. God is to be real to us. He's not just to be 
um, someone that we've just got this idea of. He is to come to you. Even in the New Testament, God comes down. Fire comes down from heaven in tongues of fire. They, they know that God has come. He's not just to be an idea. He is to be someone to, is to be experienced and known. And he acts. Always acts. This is an unbreakable principle in the Bible. He will always act for anyone who will wait for him, who will depend on him, who will hope in him. Number one, oh God, look down. Number two, oh Lord, that's not enough, please come down. But number three, Isaiah uncovers the deep problem in the, in the feeling like God's so far away. And this is the problem. But when we continue to sin against them, you are angry. How can then we be saved? Um, I read a few comment, commentaries on Isaiah, and this verse in Hebrew is very complicated. But what Alec Matias says it means, it says, it literally says that you were angry and we kept sinning. And what Alec Matias says, that we kept sinning knowing full well that it would enrage you. We, 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 we knew that it would make you angry, but we just kept, we just kept sinning. And then he has this, Isaiah has this analysis of what sin is. So you're ready for your sin and mine to get uncovered? Well, five things really, just very quickly. First of all, all of us have become like one who is unclean. We're unclean before God. We can't just waltz into his presence. That's what sin is. We're dirty in, in his presence. Secondly, it says that um, all of us... Mm, I'm making my clicker work. It's just not working. Um, and all of our righteous acts are like uh, filthy rags. Even our righteousness is like um, filthy rags. That which we even think, we're, we're pretty good. <laughs> we are, actually, if you look at me, I'm righteous. And God says, that's not true. And all the commentators say that this word filthy rags means like menstrual cloths, like it's filthy, like we think we're righteous, but that's not true. Moreover, it says, we're all shriveled up like a leaf and like wind our sins sweep us away. Do you know when we sin, when you sin, when I sin, we, we kind of think uh, this will make our life go better. I'm going to lie at this particular point because I won't be so embarrassed if I do. I'll, be, I'll go better. Or I'm going to boast at this particular point because others will see that um, I'm, a, I'm to be... Honored, and, and I'll feel better about myself. Or I'm going to be greedy at this particular point because I want stuff. Or I'm going to look at pornography at this moment because I think it'll make me feel better. But what Isaiah says, actually sin does not bring fulfillment and freedom. You shrivel up. You actually shrivel. And like wind, you, you, you get swept away. So no longer have you got control over where your life goes anymore, but you just get shriveled up and you get blown, you get blown around. 
Moreover, when we sin, no one calls on your name or strives to lay a hold on you. Do you know, no one, when we're deep in sin, we don't recognise, we don't call on God, we, we don't recognise the desperate situation that we're in. No one cares enough even to cry out to God. We, we don't even believe that, that God would even act. And so we're so deep in our sin that we, we don't think he would ever respond to our grace and mercy. So all strives to lay hold on him. Do you know when you're watching a football game and someone is going for the football, you see those photos of them, every muscle in their body striving to lay hold on that thing. Nothing is, but, but, but this says that no one calls on your name and no one strives. And so I want to ask you this morning, I invite you to call on the name of the Lord and invite you to strive with all that's in you. yes. To lay hold on God. And God, lastly, seems far away. For you've hidden your face from us and you've given us over to your sin. God has, ha, has hidden and he's given. He's hidden his face and given them over to their sin. So that's the first thing is Isaiah cries out, Lord, look down. The second thing Isaiah cries out is, Lord, please come down. The third thing is he uncovers what the real problem is, our sin. But the fourth and last thing is this. There's an expectancy in Isaiah for God's mercy and grace. Listen to what it says here in these last couple of verses. It says, yet you, Lord, are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Now, this is really important just as we finish. I just want you to hear this. Because I think many people's hearts go wrong at this point. Isaiah's laid bare all the sinfulness that, that we, we knew it was going to enrage you, but we kept sinning. Ooh, we're, we're far from you. We're unclean. All our righteousness is a lot figured. He, he uncovers it all. But he doesn't just stay there and think, I'm just going to stay there. That's not what happens. He says, but God, you are our Father. You're our father. You, you, we are the clay and you are the potter. You've, you've expended your creative energy on us. You, we are your idea. You're, you're our father. We are all the work of your hand. And so there's this great hope. This is looking to God and saying, Lord, you are our father. Lord. I mean, many people just don't dare to come to God and cry out to him in the depths of their need and say, Lord, but you're our father. So here's this problem. Because he says, do not be angry beyond measure, Lord, and do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look upon us as we pray, for we are all your people. 
So here is, the, here is the problem that's presenting itself to us now, just as we finish. God, we know we've sinned. We know we've done wrong. We know we've wandered from your ways. We know we deserved your justice. And in fact, we have experienced something of your displeasure. But now, Lord, we're calling out to you. You're our father and you are the potter and we're the clay. Please, Lord, don't be angry with us beyond measure. Do not remember our sins forever. Look upon us, we pray, for we are your people. Now imagine you're God now and you're looking down on this people. What do you do? A people that is sinning again and again and again and again. And yet they're crying out to you, asking for mercy again and again. How do mercy and justice, how could they ever go together? Is God going to bring justice? Terrible justice on this people that have just so much turned their back on him? Or is he going to have mercy on them because he's crying, they're crying out for mercy? And you know that the reason that God sent Jesus on the cross is that's where justice and mercy meet. That's the place that justice and mercy meet. Because on the cross, the justice of God is being done. Jesus is dying for the sins of the world. But on the cross, mercy is being poured out on his people. That's the place that justice and mercy meet together. That's the reason what we as Christians can come to God with, with great boldness and great freedom because on the cross, God is sending his son and justice and mercy meet together in that place. And we can come now and cry out to him and say, Lord, I know my sin. I know it's really, really, really bad, but I'm crying out in Jesus' name because that's where justice and mercy meet. The reason that God is not angry beyond measure and that the Lord does not remember our sins anymore is because of Christ. We are his people. Do you know you have become his people? We are his people owned by him. In Jesus, God has looked down and not only has he looked down, but he has come down. Yes, he has. And in Jesus, we are, the one, we are the ones that now are the recipients of mercy. So this is what I'm wanting you to take away this morning. I don't want you to be, I want you to be very real with God when you're in a place of brokenness and hardship and pain. I want you to be brutally honest with him. I don't want you to pretend something other than brutal honesty. I want you to be someone that doesn't um, just pray little sort of quick uh, pipsqueak prayers, but pray prayers like Isaiah prays. Deep prayers, passionate prayers, calling, bringing to remembrance to God. God, remember, remember, remember who you are using every tool in the box to cry out to him.
And I want you to remember this, that this is the God we serve. He always acts for those who wait for him. Always, without question. And we're to be people that put our hope in him, in Christ, waiting for him. I know there's people in this room for whom life is extremely difficult, many discouragements and hardships. But I want to hold up to you um, this King of glory, this God of heaven, who will act on behalf of those who wait for him. Let me pray. Dear Father, you are a glorious God. You're in your lofty throne in heaven, but your heart has had compassion on, on us in Christ. You're, you're wanting us and for our prayers to be filled um, with a calling on your name. Lord, even in our hardships and brokenness and discouragement and disappointment, we're looking to you because you are our Father. We're the clay and you are the potter and you will not throw away your creative exploits in us. And Lord, we are your inheritance. So please, Lord, return to us, we pray. Revive us. Make our hearts bubble and boil hot because of your greatness. We can't do it ourselves, Lord. We're helpless. But Lord, you can. And so we pray it in that great name, the name of Jesus, where justice and mercy meet together in him. We pray in that name, O oh God. Amen.